2: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.
4: Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. or tvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next, we meet here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember, x Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiecki, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiecki, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecki.
5: Hello, dear friends, this is Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts with today's leading scientific and esoteric experts supporting the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm Wilda Weaka. This hour we'll be exploring Growing Together New Pathways in Parenting. Family structures and parenting have taken some interesting turns over the last few generations. In indigenous cultures, children were treasures, treasured, parents and elders respected. Then, in rural communities, children became commodities, workers for the farm. Next, there was the spare the rod, spoil the child era of punitive child-rearing practices, followed by both parents working to provide material indulgences while television became the babysitter. Morals and mores have been taught by television, violent games, and social media, rather than familiar upbringing and enfoldment. It's amazing that with all the fancy electronic ways we have to stay connected, Both children and parents are more isolated and disconnected than ever before. Whether we're parents or not, the most important thing we'll ever do is steward the citizens of tomorrow. Yet most of us are clueless as to how. If we're to evolve rather than devolve as a species, we need to turn this trend around and quickly. But how? How can we offer solid guidance to our young people while correcting the damage our oversight has caused? With us this hour to discuss this vital topic is Dina Dina Margolin, a licensed marriage and family therapist who helps children and families build awareness, connectedness through compassion and cultivate helpful tools for navigating life's hard moments. Dina uses a mindfulness-based, neuroscience-informed approach to her child therapy and parent coaching practice. Having trained at the Center for Mindful Living and worked as an Associate Director at the Mindsight Institute under Daniel J. Siegel, pioneer of the field called Interpersonal Neurobiology, Dina views health and wellness through the lens of brain function, relational experience, and mindfulness. Her website, dina.margolin.com. Dina, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to connect today.
5: I think we should bring some pretty interesting things forward. Let's start with what is interpersonal neurobiology?
2: Yeah, so interpersonal neurobiology is a field that's been pioneered by my mentor, Dan Siegel. And this is a study of how the mind, the brain, and relationships come together to shape who we are. And how we can use a deep understanding of that to move forward, grow, and literally change our brains to be our best selves.
5: So, in other words, uh, rather than become a victim of your past and stuck with the old brain, you can build a new one?
2: In some ways. You know, if you think about it, from the moment that you're born, you have a nervous system, a brain, and genetics. And... From that moment when you enter the world we're surrounded by environment and we're surrounded by early relationships and caregivers so those interactions start to shape our nervous system based on how people interact with us whether we have safe and stable interactions That will help build what we consider a healthier brain that gives you tools for resilience moving forward in life. And sometimes we don't have the elements that help us build security and tools for resilience, but that doesn't mean that we can't build it later. And a lot of our conversation today, I have a feeling, will be about how to help children develop resilience and build a healthy brain and mind.
5: Mm. We hear a lot about it, but what exactly is mental health? Let's start there.
2: Sure. So if you think about mental health, mental relates to the mind. The mind is something that happens inside. Just like you can see outside of your body, you can see the world with your eyes, you can start to build attention and awareness internally to see what's going on inside and to... Really pay attention to your subjective experiences. Subjective means that no one else can see it or feel it except you. So, this is the idea that no one else lives in your mind or body. So, to really tune in and trust your experience because it's truly a wealth of information.
5: What's the relation? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh, no problem. So when we talk about mental health, we're starting to talk about, in my opinion, a series of related areas, which is your mind, your body, which is very connected to your emotions and your feelings and how we experience those. And it's also connected to our relationships, because what happens inside of you in your subjective experience Is very related to what's going on around you in your environment and with other people so it's kind of this back-and-forth interaction that emerges between your inside world and how you respond to the outside world and it's very emergent and unfolding in that way which can be so empowering so when we talk about mental health that's where all of these aspects are in harmony. We have respect in relationships with others where that person is allowed to be different and you honor the differences between each other while you connect. And we're talking about the differences in the different areas of your brain that all have different roles. So we want those to also be different but connected. And same with the different states and feelings and needs within yourself. We want to be able to respect each different feeling and need and emotion while still feeling very connected in that way. So, so, so everything...
5: how, does, how, how does early childhood experience impact our brain function? Yes.
2: Yeah. So, you know, there one thing that we can look at, actually, is the ACEs study. So this was a big study that was done on adverse childhood experiences. And what they found was that when someone has gone through trauma, Mm -hmm. such as physical, emotional, sexual abuse, or neglect, or you've been surrounded by abuse, or violence, they found that the higher the number of those types of experiences were, the shorter your lifespan would be. And as you get older, the less healthy and well that person would be, which is quite a scary conclusion in some ways, because it sounds so predestined as if these events that sometimes you had no control over in childhood, would determine how long you live. But I'm happy to share that the brain can change throughout your lifespan. So it is not predestined. What we did find, though, is that certain traumas do impact how the brain develops. Namely, it impacted the prefrontal cortex and that's the part of your brain that's right behind your forehead, an important part that makes you human and different from animals. This part helps us think, reflect, control our bodies, reason and make decisions, and it has a lot to do with our consciousness and intention for moving forward. Trauma also impacts our hippocampus, the area that's related to memory And a last part that is impacted by trauma is your corpus callosum. The part of your brain that connects your right and left side, which do very different things. Your right mode has more to do with being able to look inside and notice what's happening in your body, which means it's very connected to your feelings as well. The left side develops later and has more to do with language development, logic, reasoning. So those two sides, we want them to be connected.
5: It sounds like trauma then uh, basically creates all sorts of massive disconnections. Why is that?
2: You're right. So part of that is that we don't feel safe when trauma happens. And when we don't feel safe, There are certain areas of our brain that are specifically designed to help us survive because at the end of the day, that's our highest priority is to survive and reproduce so that the human generation can keep going and moving forward. So when we sense stress, a lot of stress, and we don't feel safe, we're no longer thinking. We're no longer using that prefrontal cortex. We're just focused on surviving, and we <coughs> shift into a state of reactivity.
5: Well, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to look at safety and reactivity, which I think are extremely vital subjects here, on the other side of a short pause. <laughs> it is time for a commercial break. Dina and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxbn.net. Now you stay there. Don't go away you ah.
3: Yeah.
1: Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course.
3: We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com
5: Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution radio show, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness, Our guest this hour is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dina Morgan, I keep messing up your name, I am so sorry, Margolin, her website, dinamargolin.com. Dina, we were just getting into safety issues, and um, who feels safe anymore? I mean, it's like right now, everything is so uncertain, and children are exposed to so much violence, just even on TV, even if they have a decent family life. What's that doing to our shutting down and disconnecting?
2: Yeah, so, you know, one helpful way to look at it is what happens in our brain when we don't feel safe, our brain and our body. So when we don't feel safe, we release stress hormones and cortisol, which kicks us into gear to survive and get out of the dangerous situation. So the parts of our brain that start to activate, two really important parts, your amygdala, which is all about scanning for danger. So that's what keeps us hyper alert. And it's looking around saying, is there danger? There might be danger. We need to be on high alert. And then another part is our brainstem. So that is the part that activates to actually help us react and escape danger. So when that becomes active, as my mentor Dan Siegel says, there are the four Fs of survival. So one being fight, fight. We get aggressive. We fight for our lives to beat whatever danger has come our way. We flee. We try to run and escape to survive. We freeze to blend in or we faint because that stress and that danger has become so overwhelming and we may not escape it that our body shuts down so we don't have this painful experience within our consciousness. So when we're talking about safety, we want to know these different survival mechanisms and the subjective experience that goes with it so that we can better sense when it's happening. Because as you noted, we live in a stressful world, especially our kids today. And so if we can recognize when those stress signals are arising within our body, like tense muscles, fast heartbeat, shaking or sweating, we can better pause and assess whether this is perceived danger or true danger that we're needing to escape.
5: I'm glad you brought that up because it seems like so much of our stress, even though we're in a stressful environment, is caused by getting stuck in the fight or flight mode and living there.
2: Yes, it's true. And so our brain, when we get too stressed out and too overwhelmed or uncomfortable inside, our brain can't always tell the difference unless we intentionally train it to do so, and that's part of treating anxiety. Anxiety is where that amygdala and the brainstem have become overactive because past experiences may have been traumatic and scary. And we haven't paused to really process through the experiences that we encountered and teach ourselves how to differentiate the past from the present moment. That becomes really key to working through anxiety and building back up our prefrontal cortex. So, so let me see if I, that-
5: let me see let me see if I've got this right. You said that uh, early childhood trauma uh, shortens lifespan, and now you're telling me that you can also get stuck in that trauma of the past and be reliving the experience in the present. Is that stress what's taking out people?
2: Yes, yes. Yeah. So that stress, we want to be able to recognize in a safe environment with someone that we feel safe with, this might be a therapist, for example, we bring up the past traumatic experience into the present moment so that we can make sense of that scary experience in a new way, in a way that also connects our helpful coping tools so that we're now in a position when that memory of trauma, gets restored in the present moment, a process called cortical consolidation occurs. That means we're connecting new neural pathways to the old memories, to the old experiences, and that is what helps us navigate trauma in a resilient way. We can build new tools for regulating our stress, and it will literally change the structure and the function of your brain. It's incredible.
5: Well, without this change, then, aren't we still reacting as children? So do we drop back into the tools that we had, which were very few, when the, when the trauma arrived, you know, unless we process through this?
2: Yeah. Step one is recognizing that those survival patterns that emerged when you were a child that may be carried into present relationships. For example, if there are certain topics or certain interactions or even internal body sensations that feel too uncomfortable, too stressful, because they're similar to something that happened in the past, we are likely to continue our reactivity pattern until we stop. Embrace what we went through in the past. Thank ourselves for finding a helpful way to survive it then. But recognize that this moment, your present situation, may be very different from the past situation.
5: For one, there might be an adult present, right?
2: Yes, exactly. And we may be surrounded by relationships that are safer So that's an important piece. And when we look at the different components of what helps a child feel safe, whether it was you as a past child or it's a child that you have now, what are the foundations of healthy growth? Well, I like to think of it as the three SCs of developing security. Secure means you have the tools inside to take new risks, but also reach out to others when you need help, knowing that's okay. So the three SCs are feeling seen and cared for, safe and contained, soothed and comforted. So we could break those down if you want for a deeper understanding.
5: Well, I'd like to maybe before we end, but I'd kind of like to address Um, tying it in here, how has the massive exposure to television and electronic devices at a young age altered our brain function and played into this fight-or-flight situation?
2: Yeah, so, you know, the way we interact with children can develop their inner voice. However, when they don't have that guidance showing them what's helpful ways to deal with stressful feelings or feeling threatened by something, they'll take what they've been exposed to, what they've seen, and what they know at that point to use those as coping skills and tools. So when we talk about social media or violent video games, it's very important to also have that other voice that guides them inwards to help them understand that this is a game. This is not what we do in real life. These are not effective ways to treat people, to treat yourself, or to react when you're upset. So it's almost like they need an emotion coach to help them recognize what you do in a hard moment. And without that, they're at risk of Copying what they're exposed to instead.
5: Oh, boy, we're seeing a lot of that out there right now, aren't we? we I mean, are. you know, the killings in schools and the uh, disrespectful behavior back and forth at all ages. If we'd only known then what we know now, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
5: Yeah. Do you have, as, as a therapist, we have a little bit of time left in this segment, what is the first step you take or recommend taking when you're trying to turn this around, when the parents unwittingly su- supplied the kid with all sorts of toys but not the enfoldment to give them the inner voice?
2: Yeah, it's to help the child look inwards, to start to move their attention and their awareness inside their mind, inside their body, to recognize what's going on and to help them differentiate different feelings that arise because my job is to help them build that insight, know what they're feeling, and find new, more helpful ways of dealing with the hard feelings, the ones that are overwhelming or uncomfortable that, if left unchecked, may lead to violence.
5: It's um, it's become an ap- epidemic. Mm. What do you think that we need to do as a culture to start counteracting this?
2: Yeah, you know, helping children develop an awareness that embraces all the hard emotions, such as shame, sadness, fear. We need to help them build up the tools to handle those hard, hard feelings in a different way.
5: Well, on the because other side of a commercial break, I'd really like to go deeper into that because I think it's so needed, don't you?
2: hmm I do.
5: <laughs> it is time for a short pause. Dina and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. You stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show. <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution radio show, missionevolution.org. The we're going family style deal.
2: Because I want a bite of your Big Mac.
5: And I
0: need some of your Quarter pie. I'll
2: try your filet of fish
0: There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other
5: offer. Bringing leading edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. We're speaking with licensed and marriage family therapist, Dina Morgan. Mar- Margolin, I'm going to get this right yet, Dina, Dina Margolin, her website, Dina That's what happens when I pronounce it wrong, when I'm looking at it and then realize, oops, I've been mispronouncing that all along. Uh, Dina, one of the things that we were starting to look at was these hard emotions. And one, I think the hardest, uh, toughest nut to crack is that of guilt and shame and the, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child uh, parenting methods kind of brought that up how much of our parenting practices of this overindulgence is to avoid being like that with our children, and how much of the guilt and shame is still affecting us and through us, our children?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So shame is such an important piece of parenting in general, and shame is that just uncomfortable, awful, empty type of feeling that can fill your body and make you feel like you lack worth or you're incapable or you're not enough in some area of your life. So what ends up happening if we're not fully aware of our own shame is we may end up displacing that when we're stressed onto our child, triggering their own shame. So shame is different than guilt. Guilt is where you feel like you've done something wrong. You wish you could have a redo because you feel guilty about what you did. Shame is where you feel like something is wrong with you, like you're defective in some way. Now, why do we have shame? Why have we evolved to experience shame? It actually plays a really important role in development and survival. So if you think about animals, and say we had a pack of deer, and there was one baby who was weak or sick and was requiring a lot of attention and resources from the elders, what would end up happening is those older ones would have to stop looking for food, would be more at risk of predators, So now their survival is threatened. So what ends up happening is they leave the sick, struggling animals that need attention, a lot of attention, they leave them behind for the survival of their species. Now, we're still animals in some ways, the way that we're wired. So it's important to recognize that children, they want to be loved and liked. They want to know that you're not going to leave them and abandon them. Shame is that thing that fills us up with a really icky feeling so that we're motivated to do something to get back into good grace with our parents. And so when we see bad behavior in our kids, it's worthwhile to stop and say, could this be shame-based? Could this be my child struggling to get back into good grace because they're having an internal feeling that's so overwhelming and uncomfortable?
5: So they, they start writhing around and, and trying to project or acting out, and when it could be shame-based, is that the point?
2: Yes. So remember, when they're experiencing shame, which is a very intense emotion in the body, it might become so overwhelming and stressful that it triggers that survival response we first talked about, and you see one of the four Fs of survival coming out fight, flight, freeze, or faint, or, you know, you would recognize if someone was fainting, most often it tends to be the first three, fight, flight, or freeze.
5: So we really have to start to learn to read those as something different than a temper tantrum.
2: Exactly. It becomes a a filter in a sense where you have this new perspective of could my child be really, really stressed? And right now, they no longer have access to their prefrontal cortex. Speaking of a temper tantrum, you might understand and recognize that there's no reasoning with your child when they're that emotional and that upset. And part of that is reasonable because they don't have access to their prefrontal cortex, the part that helps you pause, reflect, make sense of things, and connect with others.
5: What tools there do you is, have for children when they start to go into that phase?
2: Well, the first thing to do is connect with them on their feeling. to just hold safe space for them and let them know that you're right there, that this is a hard moment because they happen in life. Hard moments happen. We don't make them go away, but we want to learn how best to deal with them and move through them with strength and bravery. So step one is always just connecting and saying, I see that this is hard. This is a hard moment, and I'm here for you.
5: So the antidote to that disconnection is connection.
2: Right, right. And withholding perhaps the urge to guide them to other things to do instead of tantruming. That comes next because first just connecting and recognizing their feelings with them usually helps their brain and their nervous system and their body calm down a bit. Then once they have access to that higher order thinking part of their brain, then they'll be in a position to know what to do next time. And that's exactly how we emotion coach them in a way, is later reconnecting and processing together, you know, that was a hard time. And hitting or biting or whatever it was that wasn't the best response but what can we do next time you feel that way inside that's how we guide them towards better pathways for coping with hard moments
5: when when they drop into those hard moments and the cortex quits working altogether doesn't that leave them with a sense of not trusting themselves because now they're about to get themselves rejected because of their behavior
2: That becomes the very tricky part of all of this. And part of working through shame is helping your child recognize that it's okay to make mistakes. You're not rejected. I still love you, and I'll be here with you. I'm not going to leave you because you messed up on that one round. Let's take it as a growth experience and a learning experience. What can you do next time you're in that situation?
5: And isn't it a growth and learning experience for both the parent and the child? Because we weren't parented that way. You can bet on that.
2: Correct. Exactly. And so just like I'm kind of leading you towards having compassion for when your child is acting out, same goes for yourself. In fact, this is where it starts, is recognizing that more than likely because of cultural teaching and our cultural way of being, you may not have experienced that. You may not have had a parent who was patient and gentle and taught you how to soothe and comfort yourself and wanted to hear about your feelings. And if that didn't happen for you, it's likely that those parts of your brain weren't activated and made strong, Because the more a certain part of your brain activates, the stronger it wires together and becomes your day-to-day tools. So this is part of it. The more compassionate that you can start to be and recognize that if you didn't have that experience, that tool may not have built up within you and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just time for an update and perhaps some intention around that type of tool building.
5: We've been doing this knee-jerk, pass it down to the kids for generations, though, haven't we? Is it actually cemented in our DNA?
2: Well, it's not in our DNA, in my perspective. It's more about what type of environment you live in, which will wire your brain, which will be the tools that you use in day-to-day life, including with your children. So if there's the intention to do it differently... And what's really helpful for this is to literally pause and imagine yourself reacting in a hard situation in a different way. It will prime your brain to be able to do that in the actual moment. It's pretty incredible.
5: Yeah, it's kind of like rewiring the brain ahead of time, yes?
2: Yes, yes. It activates certain neural networks that are related to you doing that action in real life. So it kind of gets them ready to head into that direction and for you to use that tool that you're imagining yourself using. Well, if you look at the big picture, if you intentionally build up those new tools in your prefrontal cortex, you'll have tools to interact with your child with more patience, understanding and help them access their tools, which will build their brain in a more resilient way. And they'll pass that down to their children when it's time for them to be a parent. And this is how we can shift cultural evolution of parenting.
5: That's, that's a beautiful, beautiful vision because if we don't, it's not going in the right direction, right?
2: Yes. In yeah. fact... You know, that's the idea that trauma will be passed down to generations,
5: generation and so after generation.
2: Everybody is ready to
5: feel it and move it. Well, truly we're we're going to have to take another one of those breaks. Dina and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the X Broadcast Network. www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. To suggest a topic or guest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. We're speaking with licensed marriage and family therapist, Dina Margolin. Her website, dinamargolin.com. Dina, there was three very interesting uh, points you were making at the end of the last um, segment, and that's introspection, intention, and imagination. How do those play together?
2: Yes. So when we look inside and we take time to reflect, part of what we can reflect on are our own triggers. That's the areas, the situations that cause us to become reactive as parents, launching us then into our stress mode of survival with our fight, flight, and freeze responses. So looking inside is an important tool for yourself. And then intention is really holding a direction for where you want to go from here. When we have intention, it's like our shining light towards growth. It shows us what direction to keep moving forward in. And we won't always be perfect in that journey, and it won't always feel easy because we've become so used to doing things a certain way. So, of course, moving a different direction is hard, but it's possible. And imagination becomes an amazing tool for envisioning yourself doing it differently using these new constructive tools, and will literally help you put this into practice. And one helpful tool that I like to recommend to all the parents who come into my practice and the kids I work with is the stop practice. So that's an acronym for S, meaning stop. In a hard moment when you feel overwhelmed, confused, overexhausted, stop before or when going into that reactivity place. T, take a breath. A slow, deep breath can shift how your nervous system works to help you regulate and calm down. O is observe. Look inwards and recognize what's happening with compassion, meaning with kindness, because it is a hard moment. P is proceed. That's the intention part, where you evaluate what your options are for moving forward in this hard moment, and you pick one and move forward. This can be really helpful for shifting from reactivity back into receptivity, where you welcome this hard moment that's happening with kindness.
5: And that's beautifully put. And it's, um, it's practiced in so many ways. I mean, all the ancient traditions used the breath, that taking that moment, to become present, uh, to, to induce right action. So how old is what you're teaching?
2: You're right. It's, there are so many different wisdom traditions that incorporate this. And yet, as old as it is, it's not always easy, which is why not everybody does it. You know, we're human, and we do get stressed. We just want to be aware of when we're getting stressed so that we have more of a choice about it. Think of it this way. Something happens, someone says something, does something, your child acts out, and then we respond. There's a moment in between something happening and you responding. That's the moment to choose if we can just tap into it. And the stop practice is a beautiful way to tap into that so that we get more choice rather than our stress and our nervous system launching us into a reactive state where we're not choosing, we're just surviving. That's how we move from surviving to thriving.
5: You know, there's, there's something that you've mentioned several times I, I would like you to have you define for us. What do you mean by resilience?
2: Resilience is the idea that hard, stressful times are part of life. And when we can embrace that and start to foster this resilience, it means we're cultivating tools to help us through the stressful moments. Rather than resisting them, wanting to change them, or wishing they just weren't happening, we embrace the hard moment and use our tools to get back to a stable place to get back to a place of constructive function. So resilience is navigating the hard moments.
5: So what, what com- what's the biggest compromise to resilience?
2: I would say that it's feeling overwhelmed by stress and staying stuck in those reactivity patterns of fight, flight, or freeze. Now that whoever is listening hopefully has this information to recognize that stress states and survival states are part of the human nature but they're not always helpful for moving through a hard moment if you're not in true danger if a car is about to hit you I want your brainstem and your amygdala to activate and you run out of there so that you stay alive but if your child is screaming or having a meltdown because their cookie broke in half, which, by the way, that's a lot of stimuli. That is overwhelming. Loud noise. You know, someone who feels chaotic is around you. That's just stressful.
5: So what it seems like one of the most important first steps here is, as always, start within. How can we start to resolve our own childhood insecurities and traumas to be a more resilient parent?
2: Absolutely. So one helpful thing is to reflect on those three SCs of security and recognize where you didn't receive one of those, feeling seen and cared for, like your inside world mattered to your caregiver, or safe and contained. If there were no rules or it wasn't okay to be honest emotionally in your house, that's safety too along with your physical safety and then soothed and comforted that would be your caregiver teaching you how to regulate your big feelings in your body when you are upset those three aspects give you the tool to be a resilient parent if you didn't receive one of those areas in your own life it's almost like going back recognizing that and then becoming the parent that you needed when you were younger, what do you need to hear about how it's okay to have a hard moment and it doesn't mean that you're defective or worthless?
5: Well, we're, so it's going we're, back and we're, we're coming close to the end of our time together. I'd really like, you know, we we appear to be in a very tumultuous time in our development. How do you see adopting mindfulness practices into our families impacting the world?
2: Yeah, mindfulness, the ability to be present in a moment without judging it and embracing whatever you're experiencing will help you become a more present parent. That way you can build up that resilience where you welcome a hard moment. And you can be present for your children then in their hard moments. And the more that that happens – the more that child builds their resilience and will pass it down to their children and throughout their future relationships. That's how we'll shift the world into a more compassionate, caring, understanding place.
5: Mm. What final thoughts do you have to share with our listeners about stewarding our children to become the competent, compassionate leaders needed for tomorrow?
2: Yeah, helping them find their inner voice by guiding their attention inwards to what they're experiencing, so that when they are stressed out, rather than shifting so quickly into their survival states, they can build up the tools to move forward with more resilience and better coping strategies, so that they can then find solutions that help them connect with others and collaboratively Work together to solve a lot of the issues that we're facing on our precious planet these days. As you noted, these are our leaders of tomorrow, and we want to embrace their imaginations and their creativity, and support them in being their best, most compassionate selves.
5: I, I, that's a that's a beautiful thought, and I, you know, from <laughs> the last hour we've spent together, it gives me a lot more hope for the future. It seems a lot about what you're speaking about is about embracing and trust. Um, You didn't necessarily use the trust so much, but embracing. If we can embrace that everything that happens is for a reason and it's our job to, you know, transmute it into the best experience, won't that make the difference?
2: Absolutely. It's about being present, not perfect.
5: I like that. Present, not perfect. Well, I can be present, but I don't know about perfect. How about you?
2: Yeah, that's great. The pressure's off.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as always, time has flown, and now we're out of it. Uh, Dina, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you so much for your beautiful work in the world.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a joy today.
5: been a real pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Dina Margolin, a licensed marriage and family therapist who uses a mindfulness-based, neuroscience-informed approach to her child therapy and parent coaching practice. Her website, dinamargolin.com. For our amazing past episode collection, visit our website, www.missionevolution.org. And you can always email us to tell us who you'd like to hear next at info at missionevolution.org. This has been the Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilde Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world.
4: Exon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell visit www.exonradiotv.com or www.xzontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net.